Peak Wealth Management proudly presents the Trust the Plan podcast with Nick Hopwood and Jim Pilot, where we believe by providing education and guidance, we can help you retire with peak confidence. Now, here are your certified financial planners, Nick and Jim. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Trust the Plan podcast. I'm Nick Hopwood. Jim Pilot is out today, and we have a very special guest, Mr. Christopher Robert Dupre, formerly known as Dupe Scoop for the Michigan Daily. Welcome. Thank you so much, Nick. Great to be here. So tell me about the Michigan Daily experience, right? Culmination of covering the football beat with your column, Dupe Scoop, right? Sure. And uh, I got to campus and and you don't play sports anymore, really, other than intramurals. And you're looking for something to do and a way to plug in. And um, so you, you start thinking and, and you read the paper and you're, you're, you're like, hey, I'd like to do that. Um, and, and you know what? I'll just walk right in and I'll, I'll cover the football beat because what else is there to do at Michigan? So you walk in and, and the guy says, great, you want to write sports, uh, write down three sports you'd like to do. Do not write down football, basketball, or hockey. And you realize that it's a long road to get to those spots and, and you had to work hard and it wasn't just writing the stories. You had to lay out the paper, et cetera, because Michigan does not have a formal journalism program. I think they once did and they got rid of it. Very different from other uh, universities like Michigan State and others that have journalism programs. And so it's entirely student-led. And uh, you get there and you you work your way up the ranks and that's how it goes. Not everyone gets to write the football beat senior year. You have to write, show your your uh, your skills, right? So Seth Fisher, who is the editor at MGO Blog, he was on the Professor and the Pundit of, uh, episode a few weeks back. And he was at the Daily as well. Did you guys cross paths? No, uh, we didn't. Or, or if so, it, it might have been at the very end. And He know, was younger. There, there were 30 or so staffers on sports, and they all have varying degrees of commitment levels. Some people are there every day. Some people you see once a week, or some people maybe you never see. And some start in arts or news and move to the sports section. So there's a, there's a lot of activity in the building. Now, last week, uh, MGO Blog just released their football season preview. It was three hours long. I haven't got through all of it yet. Uh, this is our Peak Wealth Management Michigan football season preview, and this is our expert, Chris Dupre, who, uh, who was the Michigan Daily uh, columnist. So that's what we're here to do. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a client of ours said, hey, you know, I don't care about football. So why are you doing that on the podcast? And I said, well, because I like it. I love football and Michigan football is one of my number one passions. And so I want to talk about it. And I know we do have quite a lot of Michigan fans in the client base as well. So that's why we're doing this, even though it's not financial related. So. Go ahead. I love it. I'm here <laughs> right. for it. So, um, you know, let's talk about Michigan, maybe at the end of last year, coming into this year, your general feelings, and then we can kind of, you know, get into the nitty gritty. Sure. Well, you know, I, I deal with two very disappointed kids when you lose the last game of the year uh, in the fashion that they did. And um, maybe age has gotten me to see the wider perspective. I said, guys, if you sign up for uh, 13 wins, and a Big Ten championship and a win over Ohio State, and then uh, you fall short in the national semifinal, sign me up for that every year. Uh, I forget which movie it is that somebody said that the good old days are, are here. They're, you know, recognize them while we're having them, and, and we certainly are. So no shame in that, and, uh, you know, we're trying to win the last game, but in the meantime, and, and that may or may never happen, but we're going to look back on this and say these were great years for Michigan football regardless. Absolutely. I, I got to stop you there. I, I had a question that I forgot to ask about your coverage back in the day. 
So this would have been, you're, you're covering the football beat uh, the year 2000, our senior year. Yes. Uh, down in the horseshoe. Just give a, you know, 30, 60 second. You're texting me about your memories about that game, the Henson, you know, the Henson win. Sure. I mean, leading up to it, and, and there's almost dark shadows about that because you're very excited for the team heading into fall camp. Drew Henson suffers a foot injury. You're forced to play John Navarre right out of the gate. And I think that season could have gone even better and much different had you had Henson from the very beginning. Uh, still successful. Um, they did not win the outright Big Ten championship, and Purdue went to the Rose Bowl that year. But you go into Columbus knowing you need to win and you need to hope Antoine Randall and we lost to Drew does Brees. something special. Yes, lost yeah. to Drew Brees, 28-10 halftime lead. Uh, and, and that 28-point first half was the most successful Michigan football offensive half maybe in my lifetime. Against a real component. A real Uh-oh. opponent. But four drives, six, seven, eight minutes long, controlling the ball, you know, throwing to the tight ends. I mean, it was a, it was a masterpiece. And to lose that game is one of the has to be top 10 regrets I've had in Michigan football. I think we watched that Touchdown Cafe on Southview. Uh, <laughs> me, I think it was me and you and Dave. Uh, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> okay, so... So we so, go to Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, tell us yeah, about that. We go game. to Ohio State, and, uh, and you know, at that point, Michigan was winning three out of four against Ohio State, so you actually had a, a quiet level of confidence going into it, and Ohio State gets out to an early lead. It might have been 12 nothing. I just remember we did not have enough press passes because there were four Michigan Daily writers and the Ohio State Sports Information Director said, I'll get you three passes and you'll like it. And so I volunteered to go down to the field and I had a coat on, of course, but it was no match for the elements. I mean, I'd have to look back and see what temperature it was. It was cold. Had to be in the high 20s, I feel. And the only thing I could do was encroach past the dashed line where media and others are started to stand behind to get close to those uh, BTU heaters that were just kicking out a ton of heat. <laughs> just to just survive the game. But it was a fantastic game. And as time went on, you began to realize, like, they have a chance to do this and, and pull it off. And they go race ahead, and then Ohio State scores two touchdowns, and they need Drew Henson's walk-in to seal the win, you know. And so tell me about your coat. <laughs> I, I got it secondhand from Dave Shannon, my roommate. And uh, it was a leather coat, and it had, you know, nice pockets and things like that. It was kind of beat up. It was uh, classic for that age of time. And, the- and it might have hung halfway down your legs. It was a long coat. Okay, so it was a generic leather coat. Yes. It was not a Michigan-branded starter jacket or anything Michigan-related. No Michigan hat, no Michigan gloves. Right. Like, you're, you're, you're probably, you know, concerned about the cold, but also you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to rile up the Ohio State uh, crazy. Right? Well, you're supposed to be part of the working media. And so even then, you know, you're going to Michigan, you're rooting for Michigan. You can't outwardly show that. And you're supposed to show some kind of level of ob- objectivity, dispassionate nature in your in your articles and in your coverage. So all of that fit together. And uh, we actually got a taillight knocked out of our rental car on the way back and uh, not on the way back, but, you know, while while the game was going on and we asked the cop, what do we do? And the guy's suggestion was go get some red tape from, you know, the the hardware store and tape it up and we're like we don't have time for this let's just let's just run the risk and go in 02 i was down there i was in i was in the stands for that game by the way and then in 02 down there as well and my car got towed it was parked totally legal and it was gone and i didn't have any money i had to go get out of hock oh all right let's get back to the 23 season okay so we have the schedule behind us here you know the first three weeks are notable not because of the opponent but because Harbaugh is serving a self-imposed suspension because of Cheeseburger Gate. 
it's just going to provide opportunities for, you know, other people and other coaches. You're seeing that in the NFL these days or, or uh, you know, Lane Kiffin having his assistant take over the team for a scrimmage or a game. It's becoming kind of like the nouveau thing to do to give others opportunities. Um, you know, is we don't know enough to know enough, right? And and so in the end, they're going to say, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it. And then when it's done, they're going to say, well, it's behind us and I'd prefer not to talk about yeah. it. So we will never get the truth on what's happened, right? However, I actually think it presents a unique opportunity. Imagine this. Harbaugh rents out the State Street Buffalo Wild Wings. He hosts something during one or th- two or three of these games, maybe that Bowling Green night game. He walks around, shakes hands, poses for pictures, entry fees, $500, and it goes to the Michigan Victors NIL fund. And Good, yeah. he, you know, he sort of creates a, an entertainment fundraising event because he's always looking for the altruistic nature and everything he does. So that, that's my idea. I pictured you know, he's, he's at home right, following the rules, but he's on the phone the whole time with Sharon Moore through the headset. Yes. I mean, the, the other <laughs> thing is he, they have to clearly define what he can and can't do. And I read he, on the day of the event, he can't be on, on premises from 12.01 a.m. onward because otherwise, you know, the guy would just buy a ticket through the uh, State Street ticket office and show up in Section 27 with a cat, uh, you know, a collared shirt on and, and just cheer like nobody's <laughs> business. So you That'd do have to awesome. tell him exactly what's allowed and what's not. Yeah. All right, so no concern about the first three games with Harbaugh out, right? And so these could be like 50 to 7 games. Could very well be. And, and it's interesting because Michigan takes a lot of heat for this non-conference schedule. But I think they've learned, and, and granted they're playing Texas next year, they've learned that in the end, if you win the Big Ten and you beat Ohio State and, and you win an Indy, you're going to be in the playoff uh, and certainly when it expands for sure. So there's not a lot of reason or incentive to play somebody difficult early other than to appease Twitter um, but you know, we see it every year where Alabama will play somebody in the Chick-fil-A classic. They'll play a name team, like a Virginia, they will win 42 to 10. And in the waning minute 33, as they're counting on the clock and you see sad faces, Herc Herbstreit will say, again, take nothing from Virginia. In fact, give them credit. This will not you know, derail their opportunity for a successful season. But get, guess what? If they go 11 and one, no one's going to care that it was Alabama. They're going to get compared to a 12 and 0 team and they're going to be viewed as less than. So, you know, why take a risk, right? Yeah, and next year uh, it'll be another four-team playoff, right? And so if you lose to Texas and beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, you're still in, right? Just like you said. Right. Now the following year it'll be a 12-team playoff, and the incentive people talk about, you know, it, it's less meaningful for the regular season, and and I'm not sure. I used to think that, but I'm not sure I do anymore. I'm listening to to the Joel Klatt podcast, and he's saying, hey, in like week 11. If, it, if there were a 12-game, 12 12-team 12 playoff last year, you'd have like 25 teams that have a legitimate chance to get in. So we're, are we really dumbing down this, the regular season at that time? If we know that with two games left or one game left, we still have a chance? I agree with you. I mean, everyone said that the Bulls were ruined when you went to the playoffs. I don't care about the Bulls anymore. And nobody cares about the yeah. Bulls. But this almost flexes it back toward there's a lot more that matters. It's like... Uh, having baseball teams that are in the hunt at the trade deadline. The more you have, the more fun it is, yeah. the more there is for people to talk about on TV, which is I know, can't get enough part content. of the gig. I really can't get enough content, right? And now here we are putting on putting out our own content. Right, right. Okay, so game by game, uh, we have the, then the Big Ten. We have Rutgers at home, okay? Looks like it's going to be a noon game. Rutgers, I, I've been re-watching some of these games. You know, they're better, okay? Uh, it's not 78 nothing type stuff anymore. For they sure. are better. I believe last year it was like just about even at halftime, like it was for so many games. 
Um, but any any concern about Rutgers? Sure. We played this exact Rutgers team two years ago in the home opener, in the conference opener, on the same slot on the schedule. And we were sweating it out deep into the fourth quarter, if you recall. It was a one-score game at the end, right? It was, and, and had a halftime lead, looked like things were cruising, and then the offense sort of ground to a halt. Here comes Rutgers, and they hung around, you know, hanging around, hanging around, like Teddy KGB said. And uh, <laughs> we ended up winning and ended up going and having a successful season as a result of it. But you can't lose to, you know, Rutgers in, in a home opener and then go on anything of you know substance. I do feel like the team is different than the beginning of that. Even though the 21 season was excellent, I do feel like the team is different now, even though that was just so just like yesterday because of the quarterback and because, uh, you know, the play calling, I think, has really evolved. Right. So I feel like we're stagnant, you know, with uh, the offense and it's really they've popped the, the lid off. No doubt. I mean, I think McNamara was probably quarterback back then, was, and yeah. uh, you had to sweat it out, right? Everyone said, he makes great decisions. He's very accurate. He won't put you in a bad spot. Hey, when you play action and you went back, then you held your breath a little, right? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we're in a much better place now. Uh, but, you know, my brother worked in college basketball for about eight years, and he said, people think you just roll out the balls and beat the snot out of people, and it's just not so. so right. Yeah. All right. Similar story with Nebraska. Uh, I think that they have good players. Uh, and, you know, went under Scott Frost in 21, they like lost all their games by like five points or less or something like that. They should have beat us in 21, remember? And last year he got fired, right? Midseason. So now they have a, an exciting new coach coming in, right? You know, does, does it take a long time for him to turn it around? Or is he going to step in and really get the best, the most out of his pretty good roster? Yeah, I didn't follow Matt Rule all too much at Baylor, and I don't hold his NFL stint against them in the least. So probably a great hire uh, for them. But uh, you get an early sense of what's going on because I think they play at Minnesota in Week One, which you know you want to see great Week oh, that's One like matchups. Next Thursday, right? It's going to be you know they always play Thursday night TCF Bank Stadium. You know Minnesota hosts somebody, yeah. and this year instead of it being New Mexico State, it's a conference game against Nebraska, and you know I'm loving it because you're going to get to see what's up. And imagine the pressure on P.J. Fleck, right? I mean, we're not talking about Minnesota yet, but if you lose at home to Nebraska in your conference opener, you know, with a, a newer well, quarterback. He's won nine or ten games every year there, or the last three years anyway. Yeah, he's not hot seat material, but people aren't going to be pleased if you no. can't beat Nebraska at home. To, to them, that's probably minimum requirements. So it'll be interesting to see what Nebraska is. I, you know, we had to play there at night. We... Um, I, I you know, had to sweat it out, certainly, and they had one last possession where we had to kind of turn them away, and, you know, and uh, it was very stressful, and it was, it was a, a key key turning point in that season, I think, or, you know, key inflection point for sure. But do we know if that's at night yet? I don't think they've announced the game time yet, so. No, and okay. then we have, then we go to at Minnesota, and I think that'll be a tough one. I think that'll be the first real challenge, in my opinion. For sure. What I do feel good about is Minnesota looks and acts a lot like Michigan, right? They want to run the ball. Ibrahim used to carry it like 35 times, you know, a game, which is unheard of. Um, so they want to run the ball. They want to muscle you up front. And the quarterback is is sort of McNamara. It's a new quarterback, I think. Yeah, this Kaliak Manis, which I, I get a kick out of uh, last year. He started, you know, they had Tanner Morgan, who was literally there six years. Yeah. And then he got hurt and they had to start this, uh, I think his name's Athene Kaliak Manis. Uh, 
at State College in a whiteout, and he lost, you know, 28-10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I have to laugh. P.J. Fleck all week says, oh, yeah, we've prepped him. He's excellent. He can make all the throws. Coaches always say that in the week leading up to the game with a young quarterback, and then all of a sudden they tighten up, and in the game themselves, the guy goes, you know, 7 for 18 for 126 yards and two interceptions. I thought the guy could make all the throws. Why don't you turn him loose? The reality is, you know, they know what the kid can do, and they try not to put him in tough situations. So I, I actually feel better about the Minnesota game uh, or as good than I do the Nebraska game because I know we won't be surprised. Really? Okay. I, would, I was going to guess Minnesota would be tougher. Now, what about IU? They're coming to town the next week. Um, I don't see a time on that, probably a nooner. Um, do they scare you at all? I mean, we, we smoked them pretty well last year. They did. If you look at the IU, you know, curve or whatever, the year that in COVID they beat Penn State on the first day of the season, Tom Allen had it going on, right? I mean, they've tried yeah. to find – who's the answer in Indiana football for years. And uh, he looked like he was the guy. He they, beat they Michigan were ranked, that year. They were ranked the next year preseason, yeah. Right, right. And they, they, Michael Penix was their quarterback. Now yeah. all of a sudden they've had you know turmoil at that position. Anytime you get a transfer at quarterback and you plug it in, I, I have my doubts as to how that works, right? Northwestern's tried that years in a row. And it just, it, I'm not sure about that. That's what gives me pause about the McNamara to Iowa you know, experiment. But I think, you know, Indiana, Allen, they're a little bit on the downslide. Um, interesting, once upon a time, Zach Carpenter transferred there, and they viewed that as an upgrade for him to go to Indiana over Michigan because of where the two programs were, and certainly the tables have turned. So yeah. uh, they've been a problem, mostly in Bloomington. There's years we had to go to overtime. There's years we had to win at the end. Right. I feel good about this uh, at home. How do you feel about Penix at Washington? You know, he was great for them last year because he was able to stay on the field and stay healthy. And so probably the biggest loser in Penix returning is Michigan State because they the Michigan State again. credit, they, you know, signed up to play a home and home, a yeah. true home and home with a power five. So I respect him for that. But they probably thought at least they'd only have to face the guy once. And, you know, against all odds, the guy says, you know what, I think I'm going to come back for my sixth year. Right. Not good for Michigan State. When Michigan State played at Washington last year, I remember thinking, wow, Michigan State is not as good without canine like not as good they looked awful but i had to give um tucker credit because he never gave up in that game he kept going at him like trying to run quick high tempo like he didn't put in the backups he kept going there's always a mathematical chance you know until the fourth quarter at least yeah but you know i respect him for that uh but i just don't think their team is very good speaking of okay tuck coming michigan state it's going to be the night game in east lansing Right. You're going to go to that one? Probably not because the time of year it is starts to, oh, and I definitely won't because now I see it's October 21st. I'm going to be out of town. So I uh, hopefully will be able to catch Vacation it. Vacation or basketball? Basketball related. We have, uh, you know, preseason meetings okay. uh, with conferences and the NCAA that Saturday, Sunday down in Indianapolis. So if you're home, would you would you prefer to go into to the night uh, hostile woodshed? Or would you like to stay at home and watch with friends? Zero interest in going. Really? Even if I were offered a free I'd ticket. love going into, into you know, enemy territory. It's stressful as it is, and uh, <laughs> it's just easier to be at home. And uh, I don't know. I enjoy the home experience. I'm probably the reason that, you know, people are trying to appeal to get people back in the stadium because I, I enjoy the comforts of home and, and whatever. The last time I was at Michigan State, my brother convinced me to – I had bronchitis, and he can had a ticket and convinced me to come anyway. And that was 07 and Michigan took a 14-3 lead at the half. D'Antonio's first year, we felt good about it. They fell behind 24-14 and then they had to rally to win. And in the middle of the second half, I'm like, I can't believe you dragged me out here with bronchitis to come see this stupid game. And by the end, I said, that was great. 
So. Yeah, that was the Little Brother game. It was. I remember watching that in Okemos at Maddox's place. They lived in Michigan for like a couple of years. Okay. Uh, before they went to Texas. Um, mutual friends from college. And, you know, you're in the heart of Michigan State Territory, right? And we pulled it out. I remember it was a kid's first birthday party, too. Huh. <laughs> okay. So yeah. then so then Purdue. I know you love Purdue. You've been down to West Lafayette to watch games with your, your brother and your dad many times. We went the day it was 95, and you were melting the moment you stepped out of the car. It was... So in, in the stadium, then it was 125, according to B. Celeste, right? It's 30 degrees hotter. Yes. <laughs> and Harbaugh was wearing long sleeves, I think, if anything, just to prove that it was no big deal to him. Like, imagine how slimy that was when he took it off and threw it in the hamper. Ugh. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Purdue's coming to town. They won the West last year. We handled them in the Big Ten Championship game. You know, I remember I went to that game as well. I'm sitting, uh, I'm, I'm standing while the Purdue fans are exiting. I'm going to wait till the very end. And the guy's like, well, we kept it close for a while. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know, that was the mindset, you know, and I understand. And they're coming to town. It's going to be cold. November, new coach as well, yep. right? Yep. So what do you think about those guys? Yeah, I mean, no matter who Purdue plays at quarterback, they all seem to be the same type. You know, David Blau, who's had stint with the Lions, and Aiden O'Connell, who's now gone, right? They all throw five uh, touchdowns, maybe two interceptions, and one of them is like an 86-yard pick six the other way. It's like the ugliest-looking box score you've ever seen when Purdue plays. So, you know, I don't know much oh, about they lost Ryan their receivers. Yeah, yeah, the guy, the guy from Iowa, Charlie. Uh, I can't think of his name. Charlie yeah. Hustle or whatever. That the guy was really good. Yeah, that. Uh, he he had a lot of catches in the in the indie game. They used to call him. Yep, for sure. He was he was a player. So yeah, Charlie something. Yep, Charlie Jones. All right. So no no real concern with Purdue. No. Yeah. Now here's here's a real challenge in my opinion at Penn State. The beauty is that it's a, a day game. It's yep. a nooner. No whiteout. Like I feel like that's worth three to six points. Once again, parallels to two years ago. I think we played them at Penn State at noon yeah. in the exact juncture of the schedule that you're seeing there yeah and that was the one where michigan you know had the lead they started to fold mcnamara got hit fumbled penn state recovered they scored and went for two i think to tie it at 14 i'm in the car driving somewhere and at that moment i i felt the odds were extremely stacked against us you're yeah. going to take over at the 25 if you don't make a first down you know we know what happens next and then they found eric hall for you know, eric hall, 45 50 the drags that short little drag route that was wide open and no one like he ran Forty some can yeah. see it in my can see it in my mind and and of course at that moment I was you know we're fresh off the COVID year and I'm thinking if you you know if you blow this now there's a severe loss of momentum and so it was a great Michigan win it was and usually we've been trading blowouts at, you know home and home right and so that was going into uh, Happy Valley with a, a tight win you know I don't feel like we're up against a blowout again by any means like we did with Saquon Barkley and who's the quarterback? Um, forget. But remember when every time they had the ball, I mean, I I was like Hackenberg. No. Okay. No. Um, he was the runner. Uh, anyway, you know they get the ball. You're like afraid. You're like, you know, sure. Every snap. Yes. They're explosive. It's a hard way to live. They're more explosive than than any other team I remember playing. Like even all these Ohio State juggernauts you know like Barkley was amazing but you now all these national writers are talking about you know Penn State having the best running back duo in the country I'm like what like 
these guys are unproven, you know. Sure. And they have somebody new at quarterback. They had a good caretaker and Sean Clifford, my nephew goes to Penn State, he refers to him as Clifford, the big blue dog. And uh, <laughs> he's been there for six years, he's right? He's <laughs> been there a long time and now he's out. And so they have somebody that they, you know, feel highly about. But we know what it's like to break in a new quarterback. You can talk all you want in August, but yeah. once yeah. And they've got West Virginia coming to town, a team that's kind of like uh, reeling in their own right, a coach that needs to win. And so that's just going to be, you want to talk about monster games in week one, not this week zero stuff that's the appetizer. You know, this Nebraska, Minnesota, and West Virginia, Penn State are just huge games. Uh, maybe not nationally where anyone would respect that, but in this neck of the woods oh, yeah, where yeah, you yeah. and I appreciate football. I'll be watching football, every, every moment. It'll be great. We should get together for one of those. Absolutely. Okay. So Maryland, a lot of uh, hype about Maryland again with the, with uh, Tua's brother, I can't pronounce the name, coming yeah. back. And it's at College Park. Um, you know, Joe Kennedy will certainly be there. Maybe I'll join him. Sure. Uh, it's funny. We had a family trip a few years ago. And we hooked through Washington, D.C., you know, show the kids some culture and history and things like that. And we, we took the red line up to College Park for dinner. And uh, I said, hey, we're, this says we're like 1.1 miles from Maryland Stadium. And the idea after a long day of walking that we we're going to walk 1.1 miles into campus to see this, you know, relatively generic football yeah. stadium. And 1.1 miles back was vetoed by <laughs> my wife and kids. But yeah. uh, have been to College Park, just not for athletics. And so, yeah, I mean, this game kind of reminds me of a few different games over the Michigan year, you know, playing ball state at home right before Ohio state, you know, and, and not to compare the two, cause they're, you know, not close. I mean, Maryland is probably an eight win team or a nine win team, right? Yeah. Um, they always start out like four and oh too, right? <laughs> yeah. They play somebody that they can, you know, match up well within the non-conference. That's still like a power five. And if they win that like a West Virginia or something, they're sort of off and running. And uh, that's not a game you want to play from behind. Um, okay, so last year they played us pretty tough. I feel like we're a much better team than we were at the start of last season. That was like the Big Ten opener, if I if I uh, if I recall correctly. And then we are hosting, fortunately, Buckeyes uh, November twenty fifth after Thanksgiving. It certainly will be big noon uh, Saturday on Fox with our buddies Clat uh, and company. Okay, can we make it three in a row? Yeah, I mean, you haven't enjoyed for 20-some years the idea that, hey, believe it or not, when you win on the road at Ohio State, you get to host them the next year. Like, Unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah, I mean, Sparky Anderson once said, momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher, and maybe the football corollary of that is momentum is getting to host Ohio State at home, right? I mean, um, nobody enters a game at Columbus with any kind of like reasonable expectation that you're going to win, and your hope is that you got a shot, and then maybe it goes your way. So that was quite a surprise. And so, I mean, I almost – in some level feel bad for Ryan Day and that coaching staff because if you look at the record, I mean, it's fantastic in every respect, and yet he has to be looking at this and saying, what if? Because similar, the corollary is also true. I guarantee they don't count on coming up and whipping us by 10 points, so um, there's a lot on the line for them, and granted, I don't invest a ton of time showing empathy to Ohio None. State in their plight, Absolutely but it's, it's an interesting subplot nonetheless, right? It'll certainly speak to the desperation they have, of course, you know, Everyone's fired up anyway, but uh, I'm excited. I mean, really, if you tell me we've got healthy people leading into that game, I feel a whole heck of a lot better, right? And that's a one element. A lot of this is out of our control when it gets to that. So on paper, in your gut, we run the table in the regular season. But we have to be aware, right? Think about the Lloyd years. We could have the same feeling and then trip up at Northwestern for no reason or at home against Minnesota for no reason or the classic Michigan State trap, okay? Uh, so 
but going back to the beginning, you said that can happen, and we still win the Big Ten and still make the CFP. Sure. Um, yes, and at the same token, if you're really going to truly have a, a special season, it's hard to do that season highlight video and then have to skip over some <laughs> random Big Ten loss on the road, you know, in the middle of October. So, uh, you know, 1997 was special to us, not just because we won the national championship, but because every week we went to the stadium knowing everything was on the line and yet yeah. they still found a way to win. And so uh, I, I think that, you know, so who comes always out of the a risk. West? Who comes out of the West? Well, it's almost like process of elimination about who won't, right? And uh, and I think you've got a, a shot if you're Illinois, but once again, they're bringing in an outsider at quarterback, I think, right? I'm glad so, we're not playing them. Yeah, glad to avoid Illinois. Uh, that was a, a trouble spot last year. It's, it's interesting because we just took it right to them out of the gate. I'm like, it's exactly what we need, stress-free. And then it was anything but, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's probably not Minnesota. It's probably not Nebraska. It's definitely not Northwestern. Uh, so that's why people are excited up in Madison is because they see that the road has, you know, there for Luke Fickle and for the taking. Of course, they didn't look very good in the spring game. You don't necessarily expect them to, but, uh, you know, they've got momentum themselves. So we, so we should be able to handle any of the teams from the West. So we, we, are, we three Pete, and then we're back in the CFP, you know, TCU game. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Um, it was the trap game basically it was the Michigan state. And then, then we run it for 54 yards on the first play. It's like, I yeah. knew we could power through the these guys up front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> done. Okay, so so we're going to be up against uh, Alabama, Georgia, you know, pick your USC, you know, pick Cle your other Clemson team. will want to get that, yeah. right? I mean, okay, you know, the classic power teams. So we haven't figured that out, right? Now, what do you what do you think this year? I, I was just so thrilled to slot ourselves with TCU. I've never been more certain right. of, of the quality of a matchup, of wanting to be right where we were It was at. like playing Sister Jean in the Final Four and in 18. Of course, we were down <laughs> nine with 10 minutes to go in that game to Sister Jean, right? But yes, you're right. I mean, sometimes those things are just too perfect. It's yeah. a nine and a two against a six. You know the other shoe's about to drop, right? So anyhow, um, yeah, I mean, those teams are always going to be difficult because Dave Shannon, PhD of college football, would say it's always about the talent, right? And so that is on the 12 games you're listing there. That's what stacks out favorably for us. And then you get to the four and you realize that teams like Georgia will outpace us with the five stars and the four stars. And mm -hmm. I'm totally thrilled with all the player development that you see at Michigan, right? Yeah. You're not seeing new names in the projected depth chart. You're like, I, I know that guy. I know that name. Oh, he played a role for us last year, right? Um, you're asking everyone to play their best game and keep up with people that have already been there that have a little bit of a psychological advantage. But I'm kind of talking a little bit in circles because I never played football and I, I you know, those, the locker room concepts and things about program building are beyond my comprehension. I mean, I still don't think we big picture have an answer to the question. What makes a successful college football program? What would make Michigan flip the switch from two and four in 2020 where the fact they didn't play Ohio State that year might have saved Michigan football, right? It would have been bad. It would have been bad. And yet they come back, and in 21 and 22, you couldn't have predicted this. So what causes 85 people or whatever in a locker room to flip the switch and do great things, right? And I don't think we'll ever have the answer to that question. But if you have enough talent and you have enough momentum and everyone believes in the mission, I think you got a shot. And that's what you're asking for in these games, right, is do you have a shot? You know, the, the first Georgia game was a shell shock. We get it. Um, if we played 10 times last year, we won a 1-8. Okay, let's learn from it and take the next step, right? I mean, the thing about 
Uh, Harbaugh, as they said, he'd never stay. He stayed. They said he'd never beat Ohio State. He did. They said he'd never win the West. He did. They said he'd never go to Indy, never win in Indy, never get to the CFP. He continues to check these off, and every time people that are naysayers have less and less. He's a winner. Let's talk about quarterback for a minute. So Joel Klatt had his preseason top five, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, was it? uh, Oh, Alabama, and then Penn State. So the only team out of those top five that have a returning quarterback is J.J. McCarthy, Michigan. The other four, they'll, they'll be new quarterbacks, okay? So you said, hey, you can be an August hype machine, right, about, the, about a quarterback who's unproven. But, like, he's like, I don't care about the quarterback because I know that the coaches are outstanding and the entire rest of the team is outstanding, right? So can you plug a Jack Navarre into Georgia and still be a juggernaut? I don't think so because on third and seven, you're going to have to throw the ball. And and you have somebody that the longer they've seen it, the more decisions they can make. I think they're going to put you in better spots for that. doesn't mean any of those other four quarterbacks can't get there over the course of the year, but um, until they prove it, they haven't proven it, right? And yeah. we have the luxury of having somebody that we have total trust in. doesn't mean he's going to you know go 26 touchdowns and zero interceptions on the year. No one expects that. But the idea that there's going to be good, competent decision-making and uh, of course, the health is critical, right? There's in years past, we had this whole, hey, I'm going to start, you know, McNamara in one game and McCarthy in game two, and we'll probably be okay with either one. And now you're seeing a, a drop off that's somewhat significant. And so the health of the guy behind center. Is I kind of like the way the that he, he played that out, by the way. I thought it was he got criticism good. for it. And now you see it was that good leadership all the time with, yeah, it was, it was great. And it was decisive and it told everyone what they were going to yeah. do. And the decision was laid clear yeah. and no one ever goes back and gives them credit for those things 12 weeks down the road when the season's successful, but they want to give them a problem about it in late August. Let's talk about 2004 for a second, right? Uh, Gutierrez got hurt right before the first game. So Chad Henney steps in. No one even knew that that was happening like right until kickoff. And um, so Chad comes in. He's throwing to Braylon for the whole year. They, they have a share of the Big Ten. You know? So there's an example right, where you can have a true freshman come in and still have great success if everyone – I think that was a great team. You know? It was a good team. That it was, was like the Michigan State – Come back. Uh, come back, yeah. And I don't think that was the Rose Bowl, the Texas Rose Bowl game. I think that was a couple of years later, wasn't it? They had two Rose Bowl games that were in close succession. Texas and USC. And the USC one, didn't they lose 13-3 oh, or something? It was low scoring. The Texas one was like last second field goal kind of thing. And then the USC one was a blowout. It was the weekend I got engaged. New Year's of turning into 05 and... Uh, Texas kicked the field goal to beat us, and I was very upset. And I said, don't worry, Michigan gets here most years. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's probably a good point to close out on. So um, any closing thoughts, any fun predictions, any wacky, uh, you know? I'm, I'm hoping it's not wacky, right? Like, right, this yeah. is the year you don't want craziness to happen. You just want to kind of play the games and have everything go according to plan, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny compared to prior quarterbacks we've had at least – I don't think there's going to be an emphasis on running the football for the quarterback. I, I think he'll be very safe with his body. Remember how Dylan McCaffrey used to just take chances, take shots, kind of go head-to-head with linebackers and things like that. I mean, even I saw Brian Greasy in certain games on tape run the football at, at Penn State, and you'd hear the crack of the pads, the types of things you wouldn't want to subject your quarterback to nowadays. So I'm just hoping everything goes according to the book, and if that's the case, I think it's going to be a special year.
Well, there you have it. We have an undefeated prediction CFP appearance. Sounds like, you know, we uh, we have a real chance, according to Mr. Dupre here, Dupe Scoop. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank hey, you. By the way, I love your T-shirt. Hey. It, if you're listening on the podcast, hey, check out check out the the video edition on YouTube. You get to look at the schedule and you get to to look at the T-shirts. Yeah, there you go. So we'll see you next time, and we'd love to have you back next year. All right, let's do it. Peak Wealth Management thanks you for watching and listening to the Trust the Plan podcast featuring certified financial planners Nick Hopwood and Jim Pilot. If you enjoyed our program, please subscribe and share. If you'd like to learn more about our services, please visit peakwm.com, peakwm.com today. See you next week.